I was in a counseling session and it was going pretty bad. Uh, I was pretty down and depressed. And for those of you that have been in counseling sessions, you know sometimes it can get that way. You know, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Um, because you're just facing the past and you're facing your problems and sometimes it can be difficult. And I, I don't know if you guys do this, but sometimes I shame myself. And I don't exactly remember what I was shaming myself for, but okay, now I remember. Yes, I, I was shaming myself because I didn't pray before the uh, counseling session. And so I was like, man, this is my fault. It's my fault that the session is going bad. And, you know, this is, this is my fault. This is not good. And, you know, for those of you that are, you know, here that are Christian, I think it's always good to have a Christian counselor have that spiritual aspect and my counselor is a Christian, and so I don't remember what he, why he said what he said, but it was kind of random, and it's kind of stopped me in my tracks, because I was kind of off in a different zone. I, I zoned out, and the counselor said to me, you are worthy. And I was like, what? I'm worthy. And he said, you are worthy of God's love. And, you know, when he told me that, it was like, whoa. In this moment, how I'm feeling, I didn't pray. I'm worthy. And it, it really touched me in that moment, and I cried, believe it or not. Um, men do cry. And um, amen, right? And I cried, and I cried because... God met me where I was. Let's pray. Now, Father, I have Lord, thank you for being here in this moment. Um, you view You view everyone here worthy of your love. Even though uh, we didn't deserve it, but you, you sent your son to die for us. And we praise you for that. Um, I'm up here, Lord, um, and I'm here to speak your word. Not my word, but your word. And uh, I just pray that you remove uh, my nerves and um, just speak through me, Lord. Don't let me speak, but let it be your words that speak today. And, you know, these are your people here that are gathered, and I just pray that you touch their hearts with your love. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 
through 25, and we're going to look at this story and dissect it and kind of get a glimpse of Jesus and his love for you and his love for everyone. So the story begins, and there are the disciples and Jesus. They're together. They're at the shore by this lake. And Jesus had finished preaching and healing and doing his thing, and he was exhausted. He was tired. He felt weak, and he's, you know, he asked the, the crowd to be dismissed, and, and he asked the disciples to take him on a boat to this land somewhere across the lake. And the crowd was there, and even though they saw Jesus leave, they went on their own boats too as well to follow him as Jesus went on his way. Jesus was so tired at this moment that he decided to lay down in the back of the boat and he fell asleep. Jesus was sleeping. And as Jesus fell asleep, this storm came about them. It was evening, but it got darker than evening. The skies were covered in clouds. The wind was blowing hard. The waves were crashing the boat violently. And the disciples were scared. And some of you may say, well, yeah, that's obvious. They're scared. They're on a boat. There's a wave. There's waves. There's a storm. But this storm in particular was a lot stronger than other storms. Remember, most of these disciples were fishermen, so they had dealt with storms in their past. But for some reason, this storm was intense. It was, it was scary, and they, they were scared. They tried everything in their, in their own strength to save themselves. Nothing was working. The boat was filling up with water. The boat was almost about to sink. And even though Jesus, Jesus was on the boat with them, they didn't call out to him yet. They're like, let me, let me do this. I can do this myself. I can fix the problem myself. And then they waited until they felt like they were going to die to go after Jesus, to, to get to Jesus. They remember to say, wait a second, Jesus is here. They were, were walking, and, and, you know, obviously the rain and, and, and the wind, their, their voices were probably just, you couldn't hear what they were saying, calling out to Christ. They couldn't even find him. It was dark. It was so dark. Until a flash of lightning in the sky revealed where Jesus was, laying in the back of the boat. They approached Christ, and they saw him laying there in peace, probably half his body in water laying and sleeping. They saw him in peace, and Jesus woke up. And Desire of is a great book. It describes Jesus' face full of peace and full of love and no fear as he woke up in the middle of the storm. He got up. He walked to the middle of the boat, right in the middle of the disciples. He raised his hand, and he said to the storm, peace be still. And the storm stopped. The wind ceased. And Jesus said, why are you fearful, ye of little faith? What's crazy about the story was that the disciples had Jesus there the whole time, but they waited until the last minute. You know, how many of us wait to the last moment to call out to Christ, even though Christ is right there beside us? And we wait 
to where the, the, the situation is just absolutely terrible and like, yeah, let's pray, let's seek after Christ. When Christ is there available to us. But in spite of that, Christ met them where they were. Amen? Isaiah 57, 20-21 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mine and mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The sin in our lives has destroyed our peace. You know, the disciples had to let go of the oars of the boat to paddle. They had to let that go in order for them to get the blessing from Christ. As we need to let go and to receive that blessing from Jesus and surrender to him. Desire Regis chapter 35 says, But he who spoke peace to the billows of Galilee has spoken the word of peace for every soul. However fierce the tempest, those who turn to Jesus with the cry, Lord, save us, will find deliverance. God meets us where we are. Now I'm going to have you guys turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. We're going to continue the story in, this, in Matthew's version. There's different versions, but Matthew's version is the one that I want to focus on. So they finally get to the destination. They land on shore. It's a beautiful morning. The sun, the birds... Everything seems great, fine. And then as soon as they, they touch the shore, they, they walk on the shore with Jesus, the disciples. These two men come out of these tombs, hair down, they're, 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 they're bloody, their arms are bloodied up, rushing toward them. And by the way, they were naked, which is also weird. They were naked. These two grown men, that's terrifying. I mean, you know, if they were clothed, it would be terrifying, but naked is even, is even worse. So they were naked running after the disciples and, the, and Jesus. And they, they just run. The disciples run. They, just, they, they run for their lives. They run so fast, they stop, they get to their, to their location, and they look around, and they're like, where's Jesus at? Where? And then they, they look, and they notice that Jesus is still there where they left him. It's interesting how quickly they forgot how Jesus calmed the storm. They forgot what Jesus had done for them. As sometimes maybe we forget what Jesus has done for us in our past, and, and, we, and we are fearful. So Jesus, when he sees the two demoniacs running towards him, foaming out of the mouth, naked, he raises his hand, the same hand that calmed the storm. He raises his hand. And the demoniacs can come no further. They cannot move. Ravaging, foaming, no fear in Jesus, no fear in Jesus at all. Amen? No fear. That's the God that we serve. No fear. The demoniacs, they get on their knees, they, on their face, and they cry out. Desire just says that they were trying to cry out for mercy, these men, because they saw Jesus, they saw hope, and they ran towards him. But they were so possessed with demons that the demons spoke for them, and they said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, if you come to torment us? 
Jesus asked for their name. They said, my name is Legion, for we are many. These men were possessed by demons. They allowed the lust and the world to suck them in so bad that they had no control over themselves. Because if we don't surrender to Jesus, who are we surrendering to? Who are we letting in? What are we feeding? Our minds. So many shows, so many movies, so many music that has no God in it. But we, we feed ourselves with this stuff. And we wonder sometimes why we forget where God is. So they asked for them to, you know, can we get to the pigs over there for some reason? I don't know why. Jesus takes the demons out. They go to the pigs. The pigs go off the cliff. Like in that picture there. See the pigs there? And they fall out. They go, the demons go in the pigs. That's why I don't eat pork. Uh, it's weird, right? Um, and so what's amazing about this story was that the demon-possessed men didn't ask Jesus for anything. You notice that in the story? But he, but he took the demons out. But Jesus knew their hearts. Their hearts were crying out for Jesus. See, Jesus sees your heart. That's what he sees. You can come naked to him, and he will bless you. Doesn't matter what you wear. Doesn't matter if you, you come to him with clothes, no clothes. God wants this. And he will meet you where you are. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. It's like a buildup, right? It's like, it's like just the strong things coming here. Nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. See, I believe that Satan brought that storm so Jesus won't go to that land for those two men. And by the way, they kicked Jesus out of that land because they got rid of, he got rid of the pigs. So he came to that land for those two men, just those two men. Just like he comes for you today. And he's here, touching your heart. And he knows your heart. See, God not only meets us where we are, but nothing will stop him. Nothing. To show you his love. And God loves you. So in this counseling session, I cried a lot, and it was so impactful to me because I wasn't in a mission trip or preaching a sermon or in a church service, in a prayer vigil, I was in a really bad mental state. But in spite of that, God met me where I was. God meets us here today. Jesus is here today, amen? The Holy Spirit is here today, amen? He meets us here right now where you are, wherever you are in your spiritual life. He is here for you to show you his love, to show you his mercy.
but we have to let go of that or. We have to let go and let God bless us. It's up to you to make that choice, to let go and let God. Good morning. It's uh, my second time up here, and it's more nervous the second time, I guess. <laughs> but um, I want to thank Omar for uh, those amazing words and, you know, saying that God meets us where we're at. You know, it doesn't matter what station in life we're in. He's there with us, and he meets us where we're at. And like the demon-possessed man, they struggled and struggled, and God still met them where they were at. Um, a person that reminds me, or, you know, when you search up in Google, struggling, you know, his face pops up, is Jacob. Um, first thing we need to remember that he's a twin. He's the younger twin. He's the less manly twin because he's considered, he has less hair and he stays at home while his brother hunts. So he's already less manly. So think about it. He's jealous of his brother. Not only is Esau, his brother, the favorite of his dad, but he also has the birthright. And Esau had made so many mistakes that Jacob said, I've had enough. That birthright should be for me and not for him. So he takes it in his own hands, and he takes it, snatches it. He steals what belonged to his brother, and he did not allow for God's timing to play out. So Esau catches wind of this, and he probably says the most reasonable and logical thing that any brother can say in this situation, in any situation, doesn't matter if he stole the last bit of juice, used your shoes without permission, ate the last bit of ice cream, but he said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and because of this, he's forced to go on the run, away from his brother, into hiding. And along the way, as he rests on rocks, he has dreams from God telling him that everything's going to be okay and that he has his back. And later, of course, he meets the love of his life. And, you know, he had no money. He had nothing because he was on the run. So he decided to work seven years in exchange for that. And at the end of those seven years, he was scammed. He was Nigerian prince. He was scammed. <laughs> he was handed the older sister. So then now he has to work yet another seven years of manual labor for this woman. I don't know how many guys would do that today. You know, it's, well, I guess it wasn't buy one, get one free, but. <laughs> so life seems to be getting better for Jacob, right? You know, after all this struggle he's been going through, he finally has the woman, he finally has possessions, he's, he's, he's free. Yet he hears that his brother's still on the same mission, here to kill him. So now Jacob is wrestling with the fact that he might lose everything he worked for, all the possessions that he had, all the materials, all the animals, all the people. He also was going to lose the family he quite literally worked hard for. And ultimately, he was scared of losing his life. So he sends gifts to his brothers to maybe, you know, put him in a better mood. He then decides to split up his family so that way if Esau got to one, the other could at least live and survive. And then as he says his goodbye to his families, he's left alone with his thoughts. And in the darkest moments, this is probably one of the darkest moments of his life, he's left thinking. He's probably thinking of the financial difficulties that he's had over the years. He's thinking about the family issues that he's had. He's thinking about the anxiety that he's currently having or the times he was longing for the right person 
or how terrible his father-in-law and his boss was. How many, how many of us feel the same way, church family? So, like every good Christian, he begins to pray. But I think in this situation, praying is not the word. He begins to beg to allow God to li- let him live and to forgive him of his sins. Then all of a sudden, he sees a man in the distance. He's walking closer. He doesn't know who it is, and he's probably worried. And this man just starts to start telling him of all the wrongs he's done in his life. And Jacob's like, what are you doing? Like, get away. And then the man just decides to up and leave. And Jacob was like, no, no, you're not getting away. So he grabs onto him. And there, they start wrestling it out. And it's not for five minutes, church family. It's not for 10 minutes. It's not for 30 minutes. He's there. He's still wrestling. It's not for an hour. It's not for two hours. It's all night long. Do any of you realize how, lo- how much energy that is? I googled it. An hour wrestling is 500 calories. And for the first time, I don't believe Google is right. I feel like it's so much more. I mean, you look at these boxers and UFC fighters after 10 minutes of running around the ring. You know, they're tired, they're exhausted. They're like, oh, that was the hardest fight of my life. You know, they look dead. Now imagine Jacob. He's fighting all night long. He's tired. It's dark at night, so he doesn't know where he's putting his feet. He's slipping in the sand. His sandals were made out of the leather that probably broke under the stress of intense fighting. And I'm sure there was rocks on the floor, so his feet are getting cut up. He's probably getting thrown on the floor. You know, his back is bleeding. His arms are bleeding. I don't know how many of us could do that. (laughs) So he's tired. He's hungry. He's bruised and battered, bleeding, and overall desperate for God to bless him. He knows that if he lets go, all the effort he's put into this fight slips away, and that he will not get the blessing. And as the sun starts to rise, and he starts seeing all the battle wounds that he's, in, he's gotten through this whole fight, God starts to ask him, let me go. No, this is enough. Let me go. And Jacob probably says, no, bless me. And then God touches his hip. His hip dislocates. And the amount of pain he must have been in is something I, don't, I can't imagine. I know my uncle dislocated his shoulder once, and they put medication on him, and he still yelled when they popped it back into place. So even despite the pain, as in he's, he's there on the floor hanging on still onto God's foot, he's in pain, but he still hangs on because he knows that the pain he's in is nothing compared to the blessing he can receive. So he's tired, he's hungry, he's bruised and battered, bleeding in an extreme amount of pain. He's probably crying at this point, asking for God to bless him. And in Genesis chapter 32, uh, 32, we see the story, and God answers back to him. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome How many of us feel like Jacob? How many of us are tired, hungry, bruised and battered and crying? How many of us are tired and exhausted of not having a career? Tired of the financial difficulties? Tired of the financial issues, the friendship issues, the family issues, depression, anxiety, addiction, gossip, and looking for the right person? Jacob went through it all, through it all. And even with this, his brother still wanted to kill him. Some of you are probably wondering what this 20-year-old knows about struggling 
you know, this person who lives with his parents, you know, leeching off their goods, you know. (laughs) I'll tell you, I struggle with anxiety almost every day. I've struggled with friendship issues. I struggled with finding the right person. (laughs) And I even struggle in school. The last time I spoke up, up here was a week, exactly a week after high school graduation. And now I am one year away from finishing nursing school. And I like to say in nursing school, everyone struggles, but we all struggle at different points. And this semester was my point. I um, thought the class was going to be easy. I'm like, oh, mental health, that, that's not a hard class, you know? Just ADHD and schizophrenia, you know, I should be fine. I still studied for the first exam, and, you know, I was like, okay, time to take the exam. So I'm there hovering through the answers. I'm like, okay, this is a little harder than I thought, you know? And every question got harder and harder, and at the end, I press submit. It says loading, loading, loading. And then I actually, are you sure to submit? I'm like, yeah, I can't go back and like change an answer. And I hit submit again. It says loading. And then I saw the dreadful 68, 62%. One of the lowest in the class. And some of you may be like, oh, I've got 60s in college and I still passed the class. But in nursing school, my grade for this class at least was 85% was determined by exams. And I only had five exams and now four remaining to fix my grade. And it's in this darkest moment that I then began to pray. However, instead of asking for forgiveness and telling God that I made a mistake and owning up to my, my um, own mistakes, I began to blame him. I began to freak out and began to question God if I was in the right place and in the right career. I asked him why he brought me this far to allow me to fail. He knows the time and money and effort I put into my classes. And it's after this little hissy fit with God that I, um, I began to do the math for what I needed to at least pass the class. And I needed to get higher than an 86% on the rest of the exams for me to even remotely pass the class. And it's at this point that I'm like, okay, I need God. Yeah, I can't do this alone. I can't do this by my own strength. I realized, too, that I was in need of a blessing. I, too, knew that I had to hold on to God for the blessing and never to let go. So I began to study, and I prayed very hard. I knew the material for the second exam, forward, backwards, and new stuff I wasn't supposed to know. (laughs) And I began taking the second exam, and it's getting harder again, and I'm hovering through questions. And I finally press submit, and I see 90%. I'm like, thank you, God. I praise the Lord for that. I did the same thing. I studied and I prayed. And you want to know what I got for that third exam? 92%. I studied and I prayed. And on the fourth exam, I got a 90%. And I praised the Lord. And on the final, I I had enough room to slip up a little bit. And I got an 80% on the final. (laughs) And I finished that class with an 83%. My friends didn't think I was going to do it. They asked me the day before the final, like, are you actually going to pass the class? I'm like, it's looking good, you know? <laughs> they thought I was going to have to retake the class and wait a whole other year for that class to happen again. But you know what? They asked me how I did it, and I told them, I know who did it. God did it. God was with me there, was with me when I studied, 
and looked up and did practice questions. God was there when I hovered through every answer on the exam and started crossing them out. God was there to put those friends who didn't believe I would pass but still helped me to study. God was there to put my family to support me through it. God was there to place my girlfriend to tell me that it's going to be all right. And God is still supporting me every inch of the way. You know, I forgot to mention, a result of Jacob holding on, his family lived. His, he lived. His brother forgave him. He got to live a long, long life and have a huge family. And he got to be one of the only non-firstborns to be in the genealogy of Christ. And the stories I've shared with you, it's a result of holding on to God for that blessing. I know it's exhausting. I know it's painful. I know it takes the strength out of you. You get dirty, and you, look, you walk away looking worse than when you first started, but you end up being blessed. And I know there's still some of you hanging on. There's some of you hanging on, and you've been hanging on for a long, long time, and you're thinking, this is enough. I need to let go. This isn't worth it. But you know what, family? It, it is worth it, because God will bless you, and he wants to bless you. And it's not because he doesn't want to bless you, because he wants to. It's not that he needs to, he wants to. And you know why he wants to bless you, and he's letting you struggle? It's because he knows that there's more blessings in wrestling than without. Happy Sabbath. What's up, everybody? Oh, man. Thank you, brothers. Woo! Wasn't that amazing? Oh, man. So last week on Friday, I got into my car, and I was heading out to the Young Adult Vespers, and I was excited. I was going to meet some people, talk to some people, eat some food, read the Bible. It's going to be a great time. And um, it was out in Castleberry. I'm not really familiar with that area. And so I typed the address into my GPS. And sure enough, it said, it's going to take about 25, 30 minutes from where I was located. Okay, it's not a big deal. So I started in my car, hopped in it, and let's go. It told me on 436, take the road straight, six miles. Okay, I can do that, right? Easy, right? Easy, straight. Um, but for some reason, I had some issues. Um, as I got to the intersection of I-4 and 436, it's like everything completely slipped out of my mind, and I took a left onto I-4, and I started going to Daytona Beach. I have no clue why. And I was headed in the wrong direction. I took a wrong turn. I took a wrong turn. I was meant to go to Castleberry, but for some reason now I'm headed to Daytona Beach. I was headed fast in the wrong direction on the highway. How many of us in life take a wrong turn. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times we don't even mean to take a wrong turn heading in the wrong direction, but for some reason, we just do it. Maybe we get busy. Oh man, work. We have this project, that project. So-and-so said this to me. She looked at me like that, and I said this, and now all these things are getting caught up in your head. Oh, in school, I got this test, that project, this class, whatever. And then all of a sudden, these things that are kind of important, but they're not really important, but they should be kind of important, but God is more important, begins to, begins to just fester inside of our mind, begins to take over presence. And what really should be on top, which is our relationship with God, begins to dwindle down to the bottom, and all these things just begin to cloud our mind and distract us from what's really important. 
So John chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So slap your neighbor real fast and say abide. Slap your other neighbor and say abide. That hurt. <laughs> abide. Stay connected to the vine. Stay connected to Jesus. But here's the question. What happens when we're not connected? What happens when we're not abiding? Honestly, I think that's exactly where the devil wants you. Not connected. Disconnected. The one that's supposed to give you your purpose. The one that's supposed to give you your direction. The one that's telling you, hey, you're going to go straight on this path. If you're disconnected, how are you supposed to know where to go? If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 14? Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. When you get there, say amen. That was fast because we got our phones. <laughs> Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was all alone there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for the strong wind, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, what time in the morning? About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. Yes, come. Jesus said, so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you even doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. These past few weeks, I had to take some time to evaluate my life because I realized that I had made some wrong turns. Just like Peter at the beginning of this year, I felt the call of Jesus to, to step out of the boat, to use my gifts, to inspire people, to do great things. But I got kind of busy, and I got kind of distracted, and I started looking this way and looking that way, and I took my eyes off the GPS. And with one wrong turn and then another wrong turn, I began to say, whoa, where am I at? I'm meant to go to Castleberry, but for some reason I'm seeing the beach. I didn't know where I was at. And just like Peter, I began to feel like I was sinking too as well. I don't know about you guys or all the people here, but I know there's maybe someone here right now who maybe feels like they maybe made some wrong turns this year in 2021. Maybe you took one left here, one, one right here, and all of a sudden you're not sure where you're at. Maybe it was earlier this year. Maybe you're currently in the moment right now, 
of making a wrong turn, and you feel like you're sinking. So verse 30 in Matthew 14, it says, it says, but when he saw the winds and the waves, when he saw the winds and the waves, when he saw the tests, when he saw the distractions, when the kids started acting up, when he got distracted with this, when he got addicted to that, he began to sink, and he screamed out, save me! And verse 31 says, Jesus immediately reached out. Slap your neighbor one more time and say immediately. Slap your other neighbor and say immediately. Immediately, Jesus grabbed him. When you've made too many wrong turns and you're completely lost, just like Peter, you can cry out to Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can cry out to Jesus. Reconnect to the vine. Reconnect to the vine. So that's exactly what I did. Um, So I'm not trying to downplay COVID, but about two months ago, um, I tested positive for COVID. And COVID is a very powerful thing, and it's a rough thing. Even this week, my, my good family friend, Mary Banks, was buried this week, and it's, it really sucked <laughs> from COVID. Um, but I, I tested positive for COVID a few months ago, and it's, it's interesting because at that time, it's like I was, I was running, running, running. You know when someone's like on a treadmill, and you're running, 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 and you're really getting nowhere? I was running, 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 and God was trying to tell me, stop, 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 stop. And I was like, no, 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 no. And he's like, okay, sit your butt down. I'm going to give you COVID for 10 days. <laughs> 10 days of thinking. And I began to think, and I realized how I was functioning and how I was running and getting nowhere. And I made a decision to intentionally spend time with God each day in his word. And what's interesting is that as I began to spend time with God each day, resources in my time of, of COVID, of quarantine, began to come to me. I found a sermon series that was really powerful, and it began to change the way I was going about the things I was getting caught into. I found a men's group that was a support group that helped me, and it began to change the way that I was going through things. Um, I came into resources, and when I began to find the resource after resource after resource, it began to promote healing inside of my mind. And then what I began to do is I began to reach out to people. Some of you guys are here, and you know who you are. I've been texting. We've been going out to eat and reaching out to people. And then that began to develop community. And through these things, my mind started changing, and the atmosphere in my mind started changing. So, so back to last week. Last week I was driving, and I was going in the wrong direction. I was heading fast in the wrong direction. I was heading toward Daytona Beach, when really I needed to go to Castleberry. And after a little bit, I was like, oh, man. I'm not going in the wrong way. It said to go straight that way, but why am I going over here? So I looked at my GPS, and sure enough, it said recalculating. Recalculating. And it said, you're on this path right here, and you're going the wrong way. But if you want to get back to the destination that you want to get to, there's an exit right ahead of you, so take the exit. So that's what I did. I took the exit. I got off the wrong path, and I got onto the exit. And when I got onto the exit, it took me to a path that I wasn't really familiar with. I wasn't planning on going on that road, but ultimately, I knew it was going to take me to a destination that I intended to go to. And so maybe someone here is on the wrong path. Maybe you took some wrong turns, and you're going in the wrong direction, and you're not sure what to do. I just want to tell you that you may be on this path, 
and there's an exit up ahead. If you take the exit, you can still get to the destination that God had in store for you. Amen? So right now, I don't know, maybe some of you guys are struggling with addiction. Come on. Struggling with addiction. We're real people here. Struggling with addiction. And you're headed down this path. And you're going in that way. And God's saying, hey, listen, I know you're on this path. And you're struggling right now. But guess what? There's an exit right there. Take the exit. And you can still get back to where I want to get you to. Amen? God said, or maybe right now you are struggling with alcohol. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. Ooh, that's a big word in church. Maybe you're struggling with, I don't know, lying, with lust, whatever it might be. You're on this path and you're struggling, but God's saying, hey, there's an exit right here. Take the exit. Take the exit. It can get you back to where you need to be at. You know, as I was writing this, uh, let's call it a sermon. Uh, not a sermon. That's a talk. As I was writing this, whatever we want to call it, I was thinking to myself, maybe there's a couple right here right now who's struggling. And this path that they're going on right now is, is what they think is getting them to divorce. But I'm telling you that, listen, God is telling you, hey, I know you're on this path. It's called divorce. But listen, if you take the exit right here, there's a path. It's called healing. Take the exit. Take the exit. Amen. Amen? Whew, two things. Spending time with God intentionally is where you start. Um, I was joking with my sister this morning. My mom is the, the sensei of, of devotions. <laughs> She'll call every day, Craig, are you, taking, are you doing your devotions? Are you doing devotions? And you can have your mom, your pastor, whoever, telling you to do these things, but it's when you intentionally decide to take the time for yourself to spend time with God. Spend time with God. If you're off on the wrong path, you can get back on the right path. Spend time with God. And the second thing, a few weeks ago, I ran into a friend of mine, and she told me something really powerful. She said, healing takes work. It's not something that happens overnight. Healing takes work. You got to get up. You got to open your eyes. You got to read your Bible. Crack that thing open. You got to get into the app. You got to reach out to the resources. Pray. Spend time with God. John chapter 15, verse 4, once again, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit, unless it abides in the vine. So I just want to encourage you today to reconnect with Jesus. If you're off on the wrong path, if you're lost, whatever it might be, reconnect with Jesus. And final thing before we close up, I'm not a pastor, but if any of you guys are needing healing today, if any of you guys are feeling lost, I'm more than happy to pray with you after this sermon. I'll be over here just hanging out. Come find me. Come find somebody. Come find Pastor Chandler. And let's pray together. We're here together, all right? We're family. All right. Blessings. Happy Sabbath. Can we just give these amazing young adults one more hand? Um, Craig, Alejandro, Omar. Fantastic. Appreciate you guys. Uh, I heard it said that youth, young adults are the future of the church. I got beef with that. They're the present. They are the present. And um, I absolutely love this church family because they embrace sharing the pulpit, letting young adults, youth lead ministry. That's what Jesus called us to do. And so I love that this is the mission of our church at large. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, as I was working with them as they were preparing their sermons. Um, I just, my heart, I was just getting so fired up for God, seeing how what God has been doing in each one of their lives linked together into this sermon. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the flow of that was amazing. I appreciate you guys and the vulnerability, like very, very real. Um, I want to just uh, shout out your guys' preparation in the Word. Uh, you guys, 
I've, I've talked with each of them before this, and they have a heart for Christ and a heart for people. And so this is just a small sampling of our young adult population at large. So I appreciate you guys sharing on behalf of the young adult body, on behalf of Spring Meadows. I, I heard the word of the Lord as you guys shared this morning, so I appreciate that. Um, you guys, what I love so much about what they shared is it spoke to the various phases of our spirituality. Omar, when you shared that, God meets us where we are. Whether we're on the shore, whether we're in the boat, no matter our mental state, our financial status, God meets us where we are. And that's the start. The start is where we are, wherever we are, God is going to meet us in that moment. Alejandro, God's going to bless us, is going to bless us when we hold on to him. When we hold on. So he's going to meet us where we are, but sometimes you got to wrestle it out, right? And you're going to leave bloodied and exhausted, but he will bless you when you hold on to him. And sometimes, even after that, we'll be headed full speed, 80 miles an hour in the wrong direction. But God will provide the exit. And he will make a way for us to come back and to reconnect. He'll redirect us to reconnect us with him, to abide in him. And when we make that time, he will heal us. And he will work in our hearts. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Back to the underlying verse that supports everything that was shared this morning. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Sing with us, church. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. Amen. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, beautiful, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Sing it out.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your pursuit of us. There is nothing can get, that can get in the way of your chase of us, God. We thank you for putting all the pieces together of our lives. Sometimes, God, in daily life, we are confused as how to move forward, God. We've got so much going on. There's so much going on in the world, in our personal lives, Lord, and we are just so thankful that you're the one who initiates. You're the one who pursues us, God. You're the one who chases after us. I pray, God, that we will hold on to you. God, that we will respond, that we will take that exit, and that we will abide in you. I thank you so much, Father, for your love, for the plans that you have for us, God. That anywhere that we are in life, that you will meet us where we are and take us to where you want us to go. I pray that you'll go go with us as we leave from here, Lord. Thank you for your love, God, and for gifting each one of us to be able to glorify you. In your name, amen. I want to thank you all for joining us this morning. I want to thank all the participants, the speakers, the musicians, everything that went into this, the artists. Um, Truly, we've seen this morning how greatly God has gifted his body of believers. Various gifts, they look different, they sound different, but they all glorify God. So thank you guys. Uh, I want to remind young adults, we have a young adult indoor picnic planned for you. So plan to stay after in the fellowship hall. If you're in need of special prayer, we're going to have some elders standing at the front. Thank you so much. Happy Sabbath.